0: New Earth Podcast is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash new earth, and that's spelled N U Earth. As a Patreon member, you'll also receive bonus episodes with fellow guests, monthly virtual gatherings with me, and any book giveaways that we're doing for the month. Become a Patreon subscriber today and receive one of our New Earth stickers designed by Vero Coya. Hey tribe, it's Nixie Marie. You're listening to New Earth, a podcast where each week we explore the relationship between spirituality and sustainability and how these topics play an important role in the evolution of humankind. Together, we aim to remember our connection with Mother Nature to heal ourselves and save our planet. Well, hello, New Earth Tribe, fellow Earth Angels. Welcome back to the show. I hope you've been enjoying all these topics of conversations that we've been exploring these last several weeks, they have been so pivotal for me to really anchor in new concepts, new ideas, and sort of light a fire underneath me to really step forth into deeper seated activism in my daily life. I really have been enjoying these earth-based conversations and how we can really bring earth- or plant-based spirituality into our day-to-day. And on today's episode, I actually get to sit down with Sarah Wu, who I've had my eye on for quite some time. And her work has really been something that I have studied in a sense of just seeing what she's created. She lives in Costa Rica. And as many of you know, I've had my eye on Costa Rica for quite some time now. And she has just been someone who's showed up in my in my collective consciousness or in my field and it's been such a beautiful organic way in which it was time to finally get to connect with her so For those of you guys that are familiar with Sarah Wu, she is a uh, passionate educational creator. She's a facilitator and mentor dedicated to adult learners of all backgrounds, and she's really at her core a representative for Mother Nature and as a writer and a teacher of deep ecology Therapeutic ecology and whole systems design through the lens of herbalism and permaculture. So, she's really devoted her life and the last 20 years studying the science, art, and craft of planetary eclectic herbal medicine. And her foundation is really in Ch- traditional Chinese medicine and Western wise woman tradition, actively practicing clinical herbalism in the neotropics for 10 years. So, Within her work and within her teachings, she's also a friendly village witch and co-founder and producer of Envision Festival, where she curates the educational offerings and founded the unique herbal first aid clinic training. So she's also a fellow witch and I love, I've always heard of her concept with creating this village witch container where wise women can truly reign in their true gifts within the Envision Festival. So I think it's pretty obvious as to why she's coming on the show today. And currently, she is a member at the Punta Mona Center for Regenerative Design and Botanical Studies. So I'm really excited for our conversation today. We get deep into a discussion about deep ecology, and even we go deep into the feeling and toxicity and lack of productivity on call-out culture within the environmental and spiritual space. So we go there, and I'm excited for you guys to tune in on her perspectives and how she connects to the earth. How she really has created this whole lifestyle around studying ecology and what that really brings up for someone who is, um, you know, navigating this modern reality and modern world. So, before we get into that conversation, I wanted to, of course, welcome in the plant and animal kingdom to start out our day. Today, we're going to dive into the medicine of the beetle. I don't know why this came up, but the beetle recently, I had a beetle like fly into my office and just sort of land. It was one of those big, um, those big black beetles with those beautiful, like iridescent wings. And I just thought, Oh, what a beautiful insect to just fly in. And I felt connected to the beetle because I've, I've I've learned that they are actually very re- close related to the Egyptian times and they're sort of like a Cleopatric sort of energy where they're very royal, even though they seem like they are these um, sort of like gross and icky insects, they're actually quite fascinating. So beetle medicine, like I said, is sort of this energy of royalty and how we can really just sort of like move through life with this sense of reigning of our own sovereignty and there's a lot of connection to spiritual power through these beetles so if a beetle shows up to you take it as a sign that you are connecting to your psychic gifts you are connecting to a greater sense of the divine and maybe it's just the presence alone that can really invite you into this energy of true um, true wealth and prosperity and not necessarily the wealth in money, but the wealth and riches of life and being present with life and seeing all the miracles around us, seeing our true wealth inside versus um, attaining it of by having all these material things. And they can be very also symbolic in the natural world as far as um, they've existed for so many I mean decades and eons of time so they are this symbolism that is very ancient and what's really fascinating is they're also compromises of three main parts they have a head abdomen and thorax which directly correlates to the natural law, law of threes so if you receive three times the energy that you put out Into the world, you get it also threefold in the environment. And that's kind of like the witch's rule of, um, you know, the rule of the threefold theory where that which you put out, you get back three times. So it's really interesting how when we (laughs) see these beetles come in, they just kind of remind us that rule of threes. And that's sort of where this mysticism comes in within the beetle. And I think that the ancient Egyptians really studied them and they saw that as a, a beautiful message from the divine. And I personally always work in threes. Every time I get a message from Spirit, if it comes in three times, I listen and I go, okay, I, that's now the third time I've heard that. That means it's time for me to, to take action. So um, they just, they're just they just such a beautiful uh, opportunity to tune into that medicine and um, be honored by the Beatles. So anytime you see one, just bless it. And if you see the rainbow colors on the beetle, that iridescent glow, they're also a medium for you to connect to the profound like magic and meanings of the universe. So just take a moment and close your eyes. I kind of like the iridescence of the beetle the other day that flew into my office. I thought, wow, this is like almost the cosmic world rhythms of the universe it's like on this beetle's wings it's as if the the stars and the planets and everything that exists at least in my mind's eye of what's out there is just like right on this beetle's back and it's so medicinal and so beautiful and so magical so just tune that in you know and and receive what medicine i think a lot of times You know, we often I'm always the one who's always been like, what is the beetle or whenever a animal or a plant really speaks to us? I always ask everyone, well, what does it mean to you? You know, and that's a really great way for you to tap into your intuition and just tune into the medicine because it could mean it could mean something. It's like pulling a tarot card. It might, you know, you pull the card and it says something in the booklet, but yet it, if you really tune in, there's a message that's solely for you. And that's always how I've done readings. That's always always how I've done that that intuitive connection to spirit and asking, like, okay, the crows showing up, the beetles showing up, what are, what are they telling me? What is the message? Why are they speaking to me? and we all have our own experience you know within this giant greater beautiful magnificent wholeness of the universe so use these opportunities as a guiding point for you to really connect and to 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 speak to spirit so what a beautiful uh, medicine of the day and um, I just want to also share thank you all for your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning into podcasts. If you have not yet rated and reviewed or just left us a little love note on the podcast. I would greatly appreciate it as it really helps call in amazing guests, such as Sarah Wu on the show and other amazing, beautiful beings that come into my sphere. And also if you have anyone that you really want to hear from somebody that's on your, your wavelength and you're like this person, I'm just really resonating with. Maybe you heard them on another podcast, or maybe you follow them on the ad G world, or you just, they just showed up and you're like this person, or maybe it's you yourself, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. We are always looking for a new guest within the show. And you can just shoot us an email, uh, info at newearth.org. And of course, that's spelled N-U. All right, everyone, let's welcome the lovely Sarah Wu to the show. Hello, fellow Earth Angels. Welcome back to another episode of New Earth Podcast. I am sitting with a beautiful lady friend here. We've got Sarah Wu on the show. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Nixie. How are you today?
0: Thank (laughs) you so much for having (laughs) me. You're so welcome. I don't think I've ever called anyone lady friend. That was was, an interesting way to put it. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. Uh but uh we're I'm so honored to to have you. As I was mentioning to you earlier before we started recording, I've you kinda of showed up in my sphere and my consciousness a few times now. So it's good to to finally drop in and, and learn about what you do and uh all the amazing wisdom that you have to share. Mm, thank you so
1: much for having me. So for all you listeners out there, my name is Sarah Wu and I'm actually talking to you from Costa Rica, where I have lived for the past 10 years. I lived in various communities around the country from a permaculture education center on the Southern Caribbean, right on the border of Panama, um, all the way up into kind of the low mountains around an extinct volcano here and kind of a permaculture eco-bougie community. Um, (laughs) And I've been here about five years on and off um, in this community, but you know, I travel around Costa Rica and I, I teach a lot and I'm um, involved in a few different event productions. A little bit about me is that I'm actually an herbalist first of 20 years and I'm a teacher. And so I'm really, really very passionate about um, bringing to light people's relationship with the plants that are in their bioregion whether they're for foods they're for medicines uh, for the human body um as well as just educating and awakening for people the role of plants and fungi and animals within the ecosystem and, and who they are you know in relationship to the bigger world i'm also a permaculturist and i've been practicing studying and teaching permaculture for 10 years and i do the whole permaculture design course curriculum and then smaller workshops and lately since pandemic um i've been refocusing really on teaching people what i've been calling regenerative lifestyle so helping people to get back into their bio region through permaculture and herbalism so just continuing continuing the good medicine road work
0: Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of, uh, everybody who's sort of been working within the land and been teaching in person has, has undergone as many of us, a lot of shifts in the way that you get to share your wisdom. So, um, that kind of brings me to some of our intro questions we have here for you. How did you, how do you actually connect to the land that you live on?
1: Uh, Well, you know, living in the tropics, you're kind of blessed to have a lot of indoor, outdoor living, you know, we're, we have distinct seasons here and we we do have high mountains where it gets a little chilly, but I tend to live in places where it's, you know, it's, it's like a rarity to put on socks. Um, So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm outdoors every day Um, whether I'm just going for walks or whether I'm Mm -hmm. harvesting or if I'm planting or if I'm working with my animals or if I'm by the river, it's just the out outdoors. You know, nature all around me is a, a big part of my life, just kind of on the regular. You know, I really try to, even in my daily tea, I'm I'm very into just kind of harvesting what's around and making like foraged tea blends for myself. You know, versus like sticking to, uh, you know, really specific kind of things every day. You know, we get very kind of stuck in our habits, and while I am a little habitual and my morning tea. I I
2: love my forage
0: teas as well. Yeah. I've recently just got into, um, working with more natural like tea, just not buying tea from the store, but, um, I, I live in Topanga in Los Angeles, so it's the closest thing to nature I think you can possibly find in the city. (laughs) Um, and I've recently just been like harvesting what I can. I, I made my first like sage tea and that was incredible. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, I can relate to that. It's it's a beautiful experience. You feel like the, the plants, like, come through you in a whole new way.
1: Oh, well, they do. And, you know, what I find so beautiful about saying the plants come through you is – and get ready to have your mind blown a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's like we experience the plants and the change that they cause within our bodies. But I also deeply believe that the plants experience us as we take them in, you know. And so – having the plant like animate us, we're also animating them and they get to experience what it is like to be a human. And so that's what I think is so beautiful about oh. working with and, and harvesting, you know, fresh plants like right from your ecosystem, from your backyard, from your parks, from your woods, you know, is uh it's an opportunity to really exchange vitality with a living creature. You know, where like when we're buying stuff in the store, especially like things like our tea blends. You know, which are coming in boxes and p- boxes wrapped in plastic inside of a package, wrapped in plastic inside of another little infusion bag, you know what I mean? shipped sometimes across the world, um, you know, we're really consuming dead creatures. You know, when we're like, we're making our teas harvested fresh, those, those, te- those creatures are still animated. So it's a, quite a different experience.
0: Wow. I I really love that, that it's sort of this interweaving of them having their experience and we're having ours. And it's like definitely a way to to really become one with with the earth, at least Mm -hmm. is what I hear you say. Are there any plants and animals generally who are speaking to you lately? And if so, what are they saying? Hmm.
1: You know, one of the plants I've been really working a lot with lately and having a great time is um, black pepper. Mm. um I've made a few videos for folks out there who want to learn a little bit about black pepper I've put a few videos up on my Instagram about it because I do what are called like materia medica videos so I talk about plants and their therapeutics and their ethnobotanical history their role in ecology and everything um but black pepper is so beautiful for me because you know it's a spice and it's so common and I'm always kind of um touched by the plants that are very common almost what we would call like mundane that we kind of forget about you know And we forget about like their magic and we forget about their their beauty and their potency as medicine plants or as allies plant allies to us you know something like chamomile is like another example it's like it's in everyone's cabinet and so we just kind of think we need something much more exotic you know And Mm -hmm. black pepper is just found on like every table and every cabinet, like all over the world. And it's just, it's just the most gentle, beautiful plant. It's this vining plant that, um, you know, it's a vine, so it, it could get tall if it would like, it'll really inhabit the structure that it's given. Right. And so it has this kind of flexibility to it. And then it just becomes loaded with, these beautiful little inflorescents, which are like um, flower spikes, like many different flowers all clustered together, which then become the black pepper. And I remember my first time really seeing black pepper and being so blown away by like, this is how it grows. This is what it looks like. And for me, you know, it, it speaks to like how we forget how precious something is. And we start to devalue things based on their commonality, you know, and we really place so much preciousness and value in the things that are rare or the things that are hard to find or the things that are inaccessible all of a sudden have more value, right? But the black pepper, at one point in our human history, it was actually extremely valued and it was considered black gold. And in medieval times, people who work with black pepper, because it was traded between um, Asia, it's native to Southeast Asia and India. Um, It was traded along the Silk Road through the Middle East into Europe. And so the people who work with black pepper would have like their pockets sewn shut so they wouldn't steal a single peppercorn because it was so highly valued. You know, and now it's a plant that's a total commodity that's just... Mm you know, shipped all over the world and it's sold for so cheap, you know, that we we really forget its potency because of its availability. And so there's something really special about working with the living plant and rediscovering its value and its worth on a different level, aside from a commodity, you know. It's been a really beautiful lesson that way, especially in pandemic times, you know, when we're kind of everyone's reevaluating. What is what? It, what are we doing here? You
2: know.
0: So. Yeah. Well, you kind of shed light on something that I think we're we're reevaluating specifically is that that lack of appreciation for some of these things that we do get in abundance and maybe overabundance. You know, it's, I love that you painted this picture of how important black pepper can be and um, just sort of how we've lose lost sight as a society of the importance of appreciating small things or just nature or, Mm. you know, all these, these, these herbs specifically or plants or animals, um, or anything that we've just gotten in an excess, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in this, this world that we live in now.
1: Yeah. In an excess or even in, again, it kind of goes into like how we place value based on accessibility, Mm. you know, like, which goes into access, right? Like the accessibility of something like, Oh, it's, It's rare. It's shipped from across the world in this beautiful package, you know, like with our superfoods. Like I think the term superfood is kind of silly because there's so many (laughs) superfoods that they don't just have to be these like exotic, you know, berries and exotic roots or flowers or whatever you know, coming, coming from across the globe, you know, because to someone else it's mundane and it's normal and it's like what they might eat all the time, like chia, Mm -hmm. for example. Right. But all of a sudden it's like, it's packaged as this like Mayan superfood. And all of a sudden everyone like wants it where, you know, you have, I mean, I guess you're in Southern California. So what do you have? Um, I'm sure your fat contents, what nuts grow down there. I guess you have olives and you have almonds and you have, all these other amazing plants that provide similar nutrients, you know, or like people who are obsessed with like acai, but they live in the Northeast where blueberries are everywhere, mm. blackberries and mulberries. And it's instead buying something shipped in from the Amazon that, you know, you could find just as much diversity and vitality, like seasonally right in your own bio region. And so that's kind of a, mm. a big thing for me with, with how we, judge what the value is of something, you know, like the farther away it comes, the more value we put on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that you definitely bring a source of inspiration into, you know, just taking that moment of breath to walk outside and, and become more familiar with our local region's Um, for those that are unfamiliar with the, the terms or the concepts and the practices of like deep ecology and permaculture, how, how would you define them? Mm.
1: Well, permaculture, we'll start with that one because there's a lot of, um, kind of, uh, not misinformation, not misinformation, also a lot of information on permaculture, but misidea, misplacement of an idea, Mm -hmm on what permaculture is. So a lot of people believe that permaculture has to do with farming and agriculture. And that's just one part of the spectrum of permaculture. So permaculture, for those of you out there listening who've never heard of this term before, it was coined in the 1960s by the permaculture founder, Bill Mollison, who passed away. Um, I believe it was 2015 now that he passed away. Um, and so we're a few generations into the permaculture movement, but permaculture is really looking to ancestral ways of working with the land Mm -hmm. and re re learning that, you know, like we have many generations now of unlearning how to work closely with the land. And so permaculture gives kind of a, a modern philosophical foundation for regaining our ancestral wisdom. And It's various per bioregion. And so it's also really important to know in permaculture and in anything, actually, this is an herbalism as well is that there's no one solution for anything, right? Like your bioregion, which is your living region, typically surrounded by a watershed is unique, right? And like the animals, the flora, the fungi present, how the water moves, how the wind moves, what the temperature is like the quality of the trees, the quality of the air, like all these different factors create your bioregion. And so therefore the strategies that we would use for human settlement to thrive within that bioregion is unique to that space, that place, right? And so permaculture was developed as a way to create what we call regenerative human settlement originally, right? And within that regenerative human settlements, that's like, how do we work with the systems and not extract and not exploit the life systems? And the life systems of our planet are the, the superstructure and super species, interrelated species of soil, is also the air and the water. Those are the life systems, right? And then there's all these other biological and inorganic, you know, kind of experiences that we have. Inorganic would be like rocks and mountains and you know or underneath the ground and the geology of the place and we also work with that and so you know permaculture was kind of founded on those principles um along with another philosopher and action taker in the permaculture community named david holmgren um developed like we have 12 principles we have four ethics which are earth care people care fair share and future care and, and so we have like this philosophical foundation now in permaculture. And then it was like in the eighties, permaculture started to incorporate really people more because Bill Mollison was quite the scientist. He wasn't like such a community guy. So once human beings get involved in things, the whole, whole social and cultural sphere uh, comes into play, which really starts to shift things. And it's also very unique on how every culture, every heritage, every world do is, is worked with, right? Mm-hmm. So the social aspect came into permaculture, into the 80s, and it was really into the 90s when a woman named Starhawk, which maybe some people out there listening have heard of her, um, that oh, yeah. she wrote big The Spiral Dance. Hawk. Yeah, <laughs> she wrote The Spiral Dance, which is like our neo-pagan manifesto. Um, it's the book that all first witches should read. <laughs> I think it's like or Witchcraft 101 is The Spiral Dance. Um, and Starhawk is also like a social activist on top of it and a permaculture. So she really, I believe, brought in the social construct to permaculture and what we now call like social permaculture. And from that is like community process and community development and working in restorative justice, bringing farming and the land into cities, um, uh, working in urban permaculture. And so permaculture is this like very vast thing right but it does have a philosophical foundation which is creating regenerative human settlements you know like we don't leave the humans out of it because we are a part of this world um Mm -hmm. so there's that definition and then another definition would be um deep ecology and deep ecology was founded by the term was founded by a um oh my gosh I'm spacing on his name right now and I see his face so clearly. I'm a terrible <laughs> student. <laughs> I don't know the book right in front of me. Um, it was founded by a mountaineer, a Swedish mountaineer who was just in, in a philosopher and like a scientist. Right? He was like in love with nature and he formulated the concept of deep ecology, which speaks to like the reasons why things are the way they are that are fucked up is because there's some deep root, there's some deep trauma that goes back, right? Whether it's like physical harm, it's cultural harm, it's environmental degradation, it's war, whatever, right? And that's the deep part of it, right? Is like, where did this all start? The things that were harming home, because eco is home and ology means the study of home. So it's the deep study of why home is the way it is right now, including human beings. And it really speaks to the earth as being a sentient being, a sentient creature, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Gaia theory. And that's a part of deep ecology as well. And then in deep ecology, they we speak to what's called shallow ecology, which are the band-aid solutions. So the example of the band-aid solution, and this is also gonna like touch something for people is recycling. Recycling is not regenerative. Recycling is applying high, high heat, burning a lot of fuel, right? Releasing a lot of emissions to break the material down to reform it into something else. So what do we mostly recycle? Plastic, metals, and glass, paper, right? That's recycling. We're breaking things down. We're making it something new. But that is shallow ecology because there's so much energy that's put into it and it still allows us to feel good about consuming and buying stuff because i can just throw that oh but it's my water bottle that i bought for you know a buck and now i'm gonna drink it one time i'm gonna throw it in the recycling bin and that is okay right and we're told that that's okay but really the deep that's shallow ecology the deeper ecology would be like why are we buying water in plastic bottles when there's a river right there and why aren't we working on making rivers drinkable again wow right so that's that's like the premise of deep deep ecology right there so it's really again treating the world like a sentient creature that we are a part of and never ever separated from and how do we work with it in a regenerative way so we can also thrive because that's like the real thing right? It's like human beings are the endangered species. Sadly, the result is also animals and soil and our life systems, you know, but it's like if the earth can regenerate itself wow. if we were gone, you know, and that's kind of the thesis behind the, um, the world without us, you know, that, that book. And I think National Geographic made a show about it. Like, if humans just like, boop, like disappeared, you know, the earth would heal itself.
0: Well, she's definitely already been proving that, uh since mm-hmm. some of these, you know, us being in quarantine and mm-hmm. I've been just watching some of the things that have happened, like the turtles hatching on I think it's in uh somewhere out in Australia, I believe it was. Um mm-hmm. I'm not sure on the fact Dolphin,
1: dolphins coming back, the skies yeah. clearing up. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean it's just amazing. She doesn't need a lot of time either. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this concept that When we slow down, the earth slows down. And, Mm. you know, what I would love to hear your sort of insight on that, um, on that sort of theory and how you feel like we could really get into this as a new normal in our culture today. Mm.
1: Well, that's the antithesis of capitalism because capitalism is about production, right? And production makes us, and production and competition, which makes us speed ahead. Which makes us I have to get it done first, I have to achieve this first, I have to come up with a new idea. Our you know, that next best iPhone is out next year, you know, like it's constant. Mm -hmm. The new the new season for your clothes, you know, like five times a year we're supposed to buy a new wardrobe. (laughs) It's a season, right? Like Yeah oh, what you're wearing is obsolete. You know, your phone's about to break. You did the update and the update and then it breaks, (laughs) you know?
0: Totally. Like
1: that planned obsolescence is, you know, a part of capitalism which makes us overproduce. And because we feel this need to constantly be producing, then it means we have to extract minerals to produce with and raw, raw materials, not just minerals, but raw materials to produce with and where do raw materials come from? the earth and the earth is able to regenerate itself but not at the rate in which we took you know so we're just like hungry hungry little scavengers you know it's almost in in some ways like we think about the ecosystems it's semi-parasitic right there's like a controlled parasitism parasitism there Mm -hmm. between humans and the earth and i hate calling us that because i think humans are really amazing but it's our behaviors can be that way you know, where the parasite takes vitality from a host and so for it to thrive, but it's kind of controlled and that the earth has viruses, the earth has earthquakes, the earth has tropical storms and floods and those kinds of things keep ecosystems in check because with chaos and destruction, we reorder ourselves and that's adaptation. Hmm. So, you know, I think when we do slow down, the earth responds in that same way. Like, we're not forcing it beyond what its capacity is. You know, it's like, think about if you're just running and running and running nonstop, like you would collapse after a point. If you weren't eating, if you weren't drinking, if you weren't sleeping. For me, I, I think that some of our life systems, it's the same, same, but different, you know.
0: As many of you know, I've been on the journey to reduce my carbon footprint, my single use plastics, and my overall waste and consumption on this planet. I, in the midst of all this, decided that I would create a product that would also help and inspire others to do the same. Hence, Clarity was born. Clarity is a cleaning product line of all natural, all amazing, non-toxic products that make your home sparkle and shine with less of what you think you need to clean your home. As a cleaning professional, I realized that many people have way too many products inside their home and they really don't need five different products and they maybe just need one. So that was our mission with Clarity. Clarity is an all-purpose cleaning concentrate that actually creates as much as you need because we do offer refills and we ship them to your door so you can save time and money without going to the grocery store, which right now seems very fitting. You can just try it out if you are interested in going green in your cleaning routine, but you've never done so before by purchasing our ready-to-go all-purpose bottle. It is pre-filled with one all-purpose cleaning concentrate, and all you do is add the water. Most cleaning products that you see in the stores have mostly water in them, which actually increases the overall shipping weight and therefore increasing the carbon emissions in the ozone layer. So we've decided to let's take out the water and empower you to add it yourself. And together we can Do better at protecting our beautiful environment. And 5% of all our sales goes to Five Gyres, who are committed to protecting and cleaning up the plastics in the ocean. So head on over to clarity.com and get 10% off as a New Earth listener by entering the code New Earth Tribe. And that is N U Earth Tribe. What I really hear from you, too, is it's this shift in our mindset around consumer consumerism, um, especially kind of shedding light on that deep insight around recycling, which I know a lot of people often question, and mm-hmm. I get that question often, am my my partner always makes fun of me sometimes when he's like talking about recycling. Cause he's like, it's not really the solution. And, and, um, it, we don't obviously right now in the U S we're not even really recycling. So I think it's very interesting, you know, that you brought that up, but what is, what, what do you feel? I mean, I'm really hearing it's, it's, it's less consumerism, but what is your theory on instead of recycling, like what we can do?
1: Hmm. There's a few things. There's actually, let me pull up the list because I have the, the R's. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you know, like the R's as I, <laughs> I teach this. I can always pull like five or six, but then I get like, you know, because I, I work from my curriculums, I can't remember everything. I remember a lot of stuff, but not everything. Um, okay, so first would be to like, so when we're children, right, we're taught reduce, 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 reuse, recycle. I grew up in a county in upstate New York that, you know, had great public schools, like we had our recycling program. It was like really diligent and everything like that. So I remember when I got my blue box, so like when my family received the blue box, right. you know, and all of a sudden all your recycling goes in the blue box. Where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Orange County in California. Did you guys get a blue box or a green box or a brown box? Oh, I, you, you know, I feel so disconnected with that that I don't even think we, like, we were, I was even a part of it, you know, I don't think mm. it was a conversation that we even had in our family.
1: Mm. See, I remember getting in, indoctrinated with it in school, actually, like, in elementary school.
0: I and, do remember a little bit of that, like, we talked about uh-huh. recycling, and yeah. Mm-hmm. When we got it, like, I remember all of a sudden, it's
1: like, we started dividing stuff from, because recycling is like, oh, this is still useful material, Right. But still, but the definition of pollution is just a resource gone unused, right? So like if your tree was producing too many apples and the apples are just falling to the ground, no animals are eating them, no bugs are eating them, no humans are eating them. What happens is it becomes a stinky mass of fermented – and not even fermenting nice because it's like very aerobic. It's like disgusting, right? That's like apple pollution. And so what if we thought of everything that way? Is it just like – the abundance of a resource, a resource going unused is pollution, right? So recycling gave us this idea that, oh, this this is still valuable. And we're going to put it in this box now. And this goes in a hole somewhere I don't know, right? So we're taught reduce, reuse, recycling. Reuse, of course, like keep it around, keep using it. And reduce, I think, is the biggest one, which we don't talk about as, as much when we were kids in kind of the conventional systems, right? We're not encouraged to stop buying. I don't know how yeah. old people are out there listening to this, but I don't know if you remember, like after 9-11, George Bush told everyone to go shopping again. So go back to the mall, go shopping. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was what the president at the time suggested was the therapy for us as a country who just experienced a trauma was go buy stuff, go do some retail therapy, right? So we're never told to reduce.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we really first, even before reduce, is re and respecting right like what do i really need and why do i want the things that i want and i'll admit like i'm a consumer i love clothes i'm very dedicated to buying um secondhand used clothes or like high quality new stuff yeah. right that i like look into the companies for you know i make sure at least they have a social aspect or they have an environmental aspect you know like yeah. I wear Vans, you know. Like I'm not like always the most righteous with things. But I like Vans because I give back to like skaters and cities and stuff. But I predominantly buy my clothes used. So first, I have to like reevaluate. Like, why do I want to shop? Right? Like that's one of my consumer implants. I like how I look when I buy stuff. It's fun shopping. I love touching fabrics. I'm sensuous that way, you know. So first, it's like we have to reevaluate, and then from reevaluation we have to respect. Like really. Like who was affected by my choice? Because every consumer purchase, something's affected, most likely being harmed. You know? So respecting like all of the supply chain. And then I really like refusing. I'm like, okay, you know what? Actually, I'm not just gonna reduce how much I'm consuming right now. I just actually I don't even need that right now. No, I'm good. Right? And then we go to reduce. We reuse repair, you know, fixing things, repurposing, like using it for something new, trying to hold on to something as long as you can. And when we're thinking about clothes, like, you know, we're we're in September now, which is secondhand September. And um, if any, for everyone out there listening, I'm sure probably does like Instagram and social media and stuff, but there's a page I really love called chicks for climate, chicks for climate change. Yeah and them they're, they're so they're so good yeah. they put out really really great content and today they were talking about like myths in fashion and just how like every item that you buy on amazon or that you buy direct from the manufacturer like if you don't want it anymore and you send it back it's either getting put into landfill or incinerated because it costs too much in the shipping warehouse to repackage it make sure it's good it wasn't worn it doesn't smell like sweat it's like you know to send it back out so it gets burned for your, your returns you're getting burned that to me when I read that today I was like holy shit like wow. I really caused harm
0: yeah
1: you know you don't think you are you're like oh she's going to go back into the supply you know but it doesn't and then you know that's why like the gap went out of business pretty much yeah. you know like the gap closed the majority of its stores because of that and also, a great polluter of the environment, you know, on top of it, yeah. Um, although I will tell you, I worked for the Gap when I was in college, um, in like merchandising at Banana Republic, and they're actually like towards their employees, they treat their employees very well. Yeah. Like, they did a lot of yeah, I remember at the time it was when Katrina hit and they were like paying for employees' housing, and they're just you know. They have slave labor, but
0: then they treat their employees well. Yeah. Anyway. It's funny. I actually worked for Old Navy as my first job as merchandising as well. So.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and what they do you do? Great. Do you remember that card they gave you that you're like, okay, every month I can
0: get five pairs of pants and
1: four new shirts and this and this and that. And you could use it at Old Navy, Gap, and Banana Republic. Yep. I had
0: so many clothes. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was in the world of fashion. So it was mm. just constant consumer. and And my whole paycheck would go back into the loop so Mm
1: -hmm. oh yeah, yeah me too me too me too and you know it's really funny so with retain right like holding on to our stuff when I look at some of the oldest pieces of clothing I have are actually some banana republic clothing that I've had now for like 15 years yeah and so I challenge people out there to like really look at your wardrobe and like look at how much stuff you've had for one year look at how much stuff you've had for three years five years Twenty years, even. I have my original Doc Martens from nineteen ninety
0: four. Amazing. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very proud of that. It's that like, is amazing. It's like such a su- such a hipster trophy. You know? Do you have them like on a wall somewhere? Like, with no, I wear crystals them. all around. Okay, <laughs> <Not
1: wearable. laughs> that's good. They're that's a hipster, amazing. My t- hipster trophy that I'm still wearing. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> so like really retain your things. Like, hold on to your stuff. You know, because the more you break shit, the more you like lose stuff the more we just throw it away, we buy cheap stuff it falls apart. It's just adding to the waste stream again, you know? And then the other R, which is so beautiful before recycling is rot. So let things go back to the earth that belong yes. to the earth. And so instead of your food scraps going into your trash bin, because they don't break down in landfill, they're not going to help other things break down. That's kind of like a misunderstanding. And so you're like, Oh, well, the food helps other stuff to break down. It it doesn't work that way. Like the food breaks down, it goes through carbon nitrogen cycle and it makes all these gases, specifically methane gas, which is very dangerous to the atmosphere as well as highly um, explosive. So a lot of landfills can blow up. So we really like best you can get your organic material out of the trash can. So easy to have a little container and you can gorilla compost. You can go and you can throw it under a tree as long as you throw some leaves on it. If you have a little patch of woods, if you throw that compost in the woods, guaranteed you're given a little extra food for deer, for raccoons. In my case, we have crabs for all the little critters like grasshoppers, beetles, ants, worms, you know, to things even like coyotes. Like for you living in Topanga, you'd be feeding the coyotes. So you want to be a little careful of like your domestic animals you know we're going to be throwing certain scraps out but you know if we could get everyone to compost would be one of the greatest feats of my life if I could convince everybody to get organic material out of the garbage
0: can that has been the biggest shift I've made I made a commitment this last year to really get into composting because I have the land and it, it just has changed my relationship with food in general. And just even if, you know, something goes a little bad earlier than I anticipated, knowing that I can put it back into the land and mm-hmm. it's going to regenerate the soil that I'm creating for the garden. It's like, wow, this is it's just a whole different mindset to be in. and. I highly encourage it for those that are maybe more in the, I know, like you said, gorilla, um, composting, which I love that idea. I did that before a little bit before we really created our compost pile. Um, but for those that are in the more city regions, you know, I know there's a lot of different ways that they can compost. Um, but what, what are some ways that you,
1: yeah, so I lived in Philadelphia for eight years and I gorilla composted there. So, there's a few different things you have to kind of look at where you live because there is irresponsibility. It's not just like throwing your organic waste out the window, you know, because when we're in a city situation, we do have things like ro- cockroaches and rats and mice, right? And those little critters do carry some diseases yeah. because they are walking through trash, they're walking through fecal waste, through possibly chemical waste, you know, they're, they could have viruses, they, they're carrying different kinds of bacteria. So we do need to be mindful of like what we call vermin, you know, or pests, Um, which is interesting because they're really just responding to us, you know, like we don't have disease ridden creatures like that in the, in the countryside, you know? Um, So it says something about the vitality of the city, which culturally, socially, is a whole other thing you know it's very vital that way but the health vitality in a city is really hard to maintain mostly because of fossil fuels being burned and a lot of like dirty air condensed you know um so for folks living in cities if you're living in like a townhouse or a row home you know something that's like a few stories tall and like a block Uh, what you could do is you could apply, many cities will do this. You can apply to have a tree. If you don't already have a tree or trees on your block, you know, you could apply to have a tree, put it on your block or a few of them. And then you have to be mindful on what you're feeding these living creatures. Like if you were going to grow a compost a little bit that way is you need to have a carbon source. So we have what's called the carbon nitrogen cycle and nitrogen is what animates us. Like we're 78% nitrogen as is the atmosphere, as are the plants. And so the nitrogen is the fuel for ourselves. We're breathing it in right now. If you take a deep breath, it's predominantly nitrogen and it's animating your body. As we start to break down, the nitrogen goes through this whole like process and we start to get like that decay. It's called ammonification. And so it goes from being nitrogen as it starts to rot just being exposed to air and chemically break down becomes like ammonia, it smells stinky, it smells bad, it gets broken down even more um, by different bacteria and chemical bonds breaking and everything, and it transforms then into a nitrogen that's being able to uh, be taken in by other living creatures. It needs the carbon source to like hold the heat from not breaking down too fast, because when it breaks down too fast and it goes to ammonia, ammonia actually kills bacteria, right? Ammonia is a cleanser. But when we don't get to the ammonia phase and we're feeding it carbon, and carbon is also the structure for life, like our whole, un- our whole world is made of carbon bonds, is um, the carbon in this form is cardboard, it could be newspaper, it has some ink, but if it's what you have, it works paper, wood chips, and these decaying branches and all kinds of stuff like that, that's carbon. Cotton would also be carbon. Wool would be carbon, you know, like corn stalks. There's many different things, but it has to be brown. And so when it's brown, the nitrogen's gone and you're just left with the carbon. So you have to always make sure to be putting the carbon in in the right proportion Uh, with the nitrogen it's slightly variable you know it could be like one to six one to 18 it kind of depends on the state of your nitrogen and your ecosystem that you're in so if you're going to grow a garden you have to make sure to like cover things with leaves make sure you're not just like throwing your food waste on the sidewalk like that's not composting you know it has to like go through a system so like if you're living in a city you could have like a small bucket in your house that you walk to the park and in the park your gorilla compost by spreading the compost underneath the green low leafy vegetation you know there's always landscaping and there's trees and parks right you feed it around the ring of the tree where you're seeing the leaves fall and you cover it with leaves and that way you're also kind of like squirrels are going to see it birds are going to see it like you're taking it to an ecosystem where there's animals so being aware of that you know and then for city dwellers too If you really got into it, worms are not hard. They can be kept in little bins and they're just like hungry little creatures that will just eat and eat and eat your compost and you'll be left with a really beautiful medium to grow plants in, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's another step though for someone who's like, oh yeah, I can keep worms under my sink. Like it's, you know, it's not the oddest thing in the world, but it definitely takes some permaculture gusto.
0: Right. You know, Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating. Um, would you suggest that someone who is composting like to always put the leaves on top of their pile or is it something that um, naturally when it's out in nature, it will it will kind of. Well, so take the yeah, if you're
1: making a pile at home, um, your pile at home, some of the items that you're going to need, the elements that you'll need would be a roof or a cover. So it can't get rained on because we have these different rates of bacterial production in a compost pile that react with heat and also with water, right? And so, but it's mostly heat. It's what we call thermophilic bacteria. And this is a bacteria that kills things like Salmonella and E. coli, and it creates habitat for the beneficial microbiome of the soil, right? So when there's a lot of water, um, if it gets rained on or if it gets wet, it, it cools it down and it allows more for the bad bacteria to thrive and not for good bacteria to take over. So you need a roof or a structure to keep your compost in. I'm not like an orthodox composter, mostly because I don't feel like turning it. <laughs> so I'm just slightly lazy that way. <laughs> so you don't have to always turn it, you know, like you can expedite it by turning it. And this is called the um The 18 day, like Berkeley method of composting. You can look it up. There's like a really diligent kind of way to make your compost from compost into soil in 18 days, right? That could be like your science experiment that you have fun with. Or if you're trying to produce compost to sell, you would probably do it that way. But if you're just composting for the health of your yard and working with your family household scraps, that food scraps and organic waste scraps is like, you just need, you know, like a two bin usually, and they can vary in size from, you know, a few square, square feet. to like, you know, a square meter, two square meters or have a few of those and you fill up one and you always have to have the carbon. So you need to either go get sawdust. You need to rake, you need to, you know, walk around and chop your yard, but you, you have to have Brown to, to cover up the food scraps, or it's going to get stinky, right? Mm-hmm. That's like if you're doing a compost pile for your house. yeah If you have, you know, like for example, my sister composts this way, where she—it's not really composting; she's much, yeah, it's composting, it's really composting. But it's her and her daughter, so it's just a family of three, and she has all of their food scraps. She takes like a big pot, like a kitchen cooking pot, as her compost bin. So every time that's full, and it's not very huge, and so it's also something I want. To, recommend everyone is don't get a compost bin that's too big right right? because then it's it's better to like keep feeding your compost smaller bins Mm -hmm. um, versus like big big bins it becomes more to take care of and it's heavier to carry so she has like her little pot and she chucks it over her fence they have like this little creek and this little like green belt in her neighborhood and it's full of trees and so immediately there's leaf litter and mm-hmm. thick leaf litter that her compost is going into so there's a lot of like worm activity there's a lot of like beetles right and then she also because she's in kind of a suburban neighborhood there are also deer there's raccoons those kinds of things so rabbits that come and eat her compost That's so that'd be like one of the ways you just want to make sure you have to have the carbon source
0: right or it's not compost so carbon ju- essentially is is the brown that you're speaking to
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's the brown leaves it's the dead branches it's not it's when it's not green anymore and we could say green it could also be red it could be yellow it could be Mm -hmm. slightly orange but it's like the the living plants still have some vitality in them it's like when they're dried up and crunchy and the forest floor does this naturally that's what we call the humus layer the forest floor is like the compost the biological compost biological soil
0: You know, speaking to the soil, this kind of brings me to this next question around our connection to the soil and, and just really learning a little bit more on, um, the, the benefits of soil and how soil is actually producing some of the foods that we have today with like the lack of minerals. Um, how do you feel like we can really create a sacred connection to our, the soil Mm -hmm. and pay reverence to some of its like greatest mysteries? And loves this question so much. <laughs> um, and it's just because soil's so beautiful.
1: So I want everyone, just for a moment, listening right now, to do a free association on a few words. I'm going to give you the first one is earth. And to visualize when you hear the word earth, what comes to you? What do you see? What do you feel? What you think earth. The next one will be ground. What is ground? What does it mean to you? It's your definition of ground. The next one is dirt. What's dirt or to be dirty. Land and soil. So going to ask you, do you think that those are synonyms?
0: Synonyms. Mm. Are you asking me?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay yeah um, and all of you listening <laughs> yeah <I was>
0: like <laughs> <laughs> um yeah absolutely I think that they're definitely related and they kind of have like a cohesive oneness to them mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what is the cohesive
1: oneness within all of them
0: oh you know to me it feels like they all support each other keep going in some way and they all have a relationship to each other and feed each other. And essentially it all it all comes from this place of, from the earth, essentially. That's soil.
2: Mm.
1: That's exactly what soil is. Soil is a super organism of living and dead creatures, interdependent, interrelated to each other that we can't see. <laughs> Like We can see there there are macro creatures in soil, but there's so much micro life in soil that we can't even see what's happening right beneath us. And where soil comes from is that soil is a mix of organic material. It's a mix of stone or minerals. It's a mix of gases like oxygen, and it's a mix of water, right? So it's the strata for life. It's organic material, mineral, water and oh and the sunlight starts to play a role in there too right but soil like before it even existed what was our planet like go back our planet was you know this ball of like volcanic activity it was fire and it was stone and it was water and we're not quite sure where bacteria originally came from some people believe maybe lightning hit the water we don't we, we have you know, hypotheses on where bacteria came from, but bacteria was like life in our oceans. It was multiplying rapidly that was living and dying through eons and like eons of time and through their life systems, they started to release gases that were like changing our atmospheres and this and that, our atmosphere, adding oxygen and stuff to our atmosphere. And then actually, sorry, I jumped ahead they were adding carbon to our atmosphere. And then plants is what we call an endosymbiosis where two bacteria, instead of one fighting the other and consuming another, they actually came together and they morphed and they created uh, chloroplasts, which are like what makes plants green. And so it was this whole new kind of bacteria that was, interrelating with itself creating a whole new species that started to work with the sun to create sugar and its own internal energy and so as it started to consume this light this radioactive light like shining down on us and creating its own internal energy and structure that's like algae that's the you know the blue green algae you know like the primal superfood that we eat from klamath lake you know like that's primal food because that's where you know, life like was really formed, the organic life that way. And then eventually like as the water was like lapping up against the shore and the bacterias and the algaes were like lapping against the shore or like it would flood or there'd be like disruption and they would become like little pools of algae. The algae started to adapt to those locations and they started to live and die. Like they, they live and die really rapidly. So over a great time, their bodies are building up and that's organic material. And then rock is decayed through chemical weathering, which is like uh, water, biological weathering, which are the enzymes from plants and through uh, mechanical weathering, which is like being hit up against itself and breaking it down. And so these algaes were like breaking down rock and taking the mineral structure into their bodies. And it was just over huge amounts of time that like you can't even wrap your brain around. It's so big, like... You know, like plants came out of the ocean like over four hundred 400,000, like 400 million years ago. <sighs> wow, that's crazy, you know? And so then through that, like they started off-gassing oxygens. So the plants are breathing in carbon. They breathe out oxygen. So over all this time, they're changing our entire atmosphere. And that was the beginning of soil. And so like real soil is biological and mineral. Like right, true soil is actually 45% mineral. And so hummus, hummus, compost is only 5% of true soil. Wow. And so when we think of the soil within our own bodies and us being the earth and like us coming from the earth is the mineral within our body, where is it? Where is it, Nixie? Mm. It's in our bones. Yeah, it's yeah. Right. It's like in our structure. And so like, that's the mineral component of our body, just like the, ore in the mountains on the earth, you know, it's the same as our bones. It's like yeah. soil, soil for me is everything. Soil for me is eternity because it's like when we are buried and we're allowed to naturally decay, we continuously feed life to something else. Mm-hmm. It's when we're put into plastic boxes and, you know, filled with yeah. formaldehydes and stuff that we're, completely detached from the process of birth and life and death and decay.
0: Well, I mean you go pretty deep there. I'm like thinking about how there's just so many things that we often are just bypassing in a sense to really try to be like be these I mean I don't like to use the word parasite either but I think you I think it's necessary almost to grasp the Impact that we as humans can have when we aren't in awareness of our behavior, such as even just like getting buried uh, when we when we cross over, and how we're we're missing Mm -hmm. that essential ingredient. Um, And I know that you've, you know, you've kind of shed some light a little bit on this conversation around how toxic and sort of lack of of productivity within this. I know we're seeing a lot of this like call out culture in the environment and Mm -hmm. sort of the spiritual movement. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that happen. And I'd love to kind of hear your insight on, you know, what, what you're seeing, how you feel about it and why you think it's really important for us to, to maybe have more grace. Hmm. Yeah. It's really disturbing, I think what we call
1: call out culture and I guess canceling. I just learned that term the other day Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, humankind has caused a lot of harm, a lot of harm to the earth, a lot of harm to our bodies, to our languages, to our culture, through our belief systems, everything, everything is damaged right now. It feels like, you know, it's like, all of a sudden the earth is in this spot where it just, and, and we are the earth. So when I say the earth, I'm talking about humanity as well. That the earth is in this spot where it's like enough, like enough, you know, like we have to change and we are changing. And we are just like these little blips in time, you know, that are like, and like okay, we got to shift things. It's like, it took hundreds and hundreds of generations for various reasons created this power over paradigm right mm-hmm. of like i'm going to use and exploit you at your cost for me to thrive and that whole thing like we're still in that that's what like call out card culture is is still a power over is that you're not doing enough you know like you're mm-hmm. less than right now and so i think that it's um a symptom of just the frustration and the resentment and all the damage that's been done And that, you know, we want something to blame. Because it's a very like reductionist perspective is to say that there's one root cause to everything. You know, like your thyroid is disrupted, because your mom had it. Well, that's not actually probably the case. Like, yeah, maybe that's a factor. You know, like a risk factor is that it's in your family. But the other risk factors are you know, drinking plastic, drinking water from plastic bottles, using perfume and uh, taking birth control pills, all three of them, like exponentiating on themselves to cause endocrine disruption. You know, it's so, like, there's many different routes to everything. We don't have one tap root to the world's problems. And I think like what we're doing a lot in call out culture right now is trying to find the reason why mm. things are the way they are, you know, and what we're finding is one of the big roots <laughs> of it is, you know, like, capitalism and imperialism and colonialism they're all they're all different shades of the same thing just in different times you know and uh and so I think that that's like a piece of what call-out culture is is trying to say like you're the problem you know Mm -hmm. and really it's like we've all participated in this many people many many people have been greater victims than others you know, um, but we've all done great damage. Like even the people who are doing and who did the damage, um, they're also suffering because they're continuing it, you know? Um, and so I think that with call out culture, like we really need to hold each other accountable in our community, but we need to realize that we are on the same team, we're on the same team for global awakening. We're in the same team for healthy regenerative food systems. We're in the same team for healthy bodies. We're in the same team for equality. We're on the same team for justice. You know, we're in the same team that we want to live like in harmony with each other and with the earth and we wanna love who we love and we don't wanna wake up feeling afraid. You know? And I just wish that we would get there already (laughs) (laughs) but you know it caused like you know as a hundred hundred thousand generations it's exaggeration maybe not uh you know of reasons why we're here and so it might be that many into the future and that we're all just seeding it right now and that we can't expect to see the result that we want to see and i think that's also you know the productivity wound is wanting to see the result tomorrow
0: Mm. absolutely but we might
1: but we might not i mean that's the reality is like it could be generations you know we're just doing the work and so we have to keep doing our work and keep holding each other accountable and keep doing better and being open and compassionate and active and not reactive
0: yeah that's really insightful I think just taking it into a more oneness complex where you know we are all in this together and um no no person is is really, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I personally even just kind of have evolved into this like more sustainable lifestyle. It it never came overnight. You know, it just sort of slowly started to like, I started thinking differently. And, but once upon a time, I was definitely a person who didn't care so much about like even picking trash up off the ground. And so I think this kind of leads me to another question about our mindset and how we can, you know, any advice you have for those who aren't maybe as eco-conscious, how they can tap into it as a mindset and like way of being so that we are just, just planting more seeds and, and really shifting the, the paradigms mm-hmm. around our, our beautiful earth and respecting her.
1: There's a lot to be said for compassion,
2: mm.
1: you know, and like, so I'm working on this workshop right now with uh, Natalie with Earthspeak. You'll hear about it soon. Um, but it's called toxic femininity, right? And we're looking at, mm. um, looking at our wounds, you know, and, and like some of the wounding that we see is in like, you know, comparison and jealousy and envy and competition and stuff. And we lose Compassion for other humans, and it's something I think is really lost in online. Um, well, obviously, it's lost online. It's so like we don't have, we're not able to look someone in the eyes,
0: right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like there's certain things that you would say that you would do that you would never look someone in the face. It's like, why do you think the KKK wears hoods? Because if mm-hmm. they actually look someone in the face, like, could they actually do what they were doing, right? They have to hide behind something to hurt other people. And I think like if we were actually like able to look at our own selves in the face is the first step in cultivating compassion, which leads to care for the earth. How could you not, you know, like right. once like deep compassion and empathy is rooted within you, you know, it's much like the Buddha taught is <laughs> like the deep compassion, you know, for all living creatures. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I think an exercise that I would really love to pose to everybody is like eye gaze yourself mm. for a little while and start there, because if you don't have the deep compassion and love for yourself, like how can you even care about anything else?
0: Yeah, that's a really great point And it really anchors in this, this philosophy that I'm really playing with around how True change, obviously, oh, this isn't just mine, but so many of us believe that true change really starts within, and we can't really see the shifts of the, our external environment until we shift that within.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's where the work starts. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's where the collective work begins. it's like as we start on ourselves. It's like we can't expect our communities to be these like upright, amazing communities if we're not doing our individual work. Right. You know, that's why there's so much like tenseness and so much, you know, politics, like not just on the big gross like, you know, US scale, but like internal politics with right. the neighborhoods and in families and all those dynamics, you know. It's like to keep working inside and working together too, because that's another part that goes back to soil is that soil is completely interrelated. Mm. Everything needs, it, needs the other one in the soil. It's the same way in the forest. You know, that's why ecosystems collapse is when certain creatures are eliminated or possibly, you know, introduced with elimination and stuff like that, you know. So it's like as we're doing our internal work, it's like also sharing it and witnessing and being together and and also, yeah, working with each other.
0: Yeah, I'm curious really how fun. you how you manage and sort of like navigate through some of these climate changes and, uh, just the anxiety and the weight that, you know, being so deeply connected to the earth and kind of seeing what's going on within that. How do you manage some of that? Maybe if you have anxiety or stress, or maybe some advice for someone who, who might be, instead of wanting to face it head on, but just sort of bypass it and not want to look and sort of shove it under the rug and keep keep up with their plastic water bottles and, you know, how, how do you manage it and any advice for anyone out there that is struggling with it today? Mm. I think it's really, you know,
1: super easy to feel overwhelmed because everything's so big, but there's this concept called like your, your sphere of interest and your sphere of influence or impact, right? So our interest Right now if you're listening to this new earth you know it's about the earth so we share a common interest it's our home right and maybe your common interest with someone else is organic food or maybe it's you know the paleo diet or maybe it's uh running or maybe it's a book club or it's whatever it is whatever your common interest is right like you share that with another person and then you know your sphere of influence and impact like don't compare yourself to like major influencers because there's you know eight billion people in the world yeah. and out of the eight billion people in the world like okay so that influencer has a million people that's a drop in eight billion people you know right. and so imagine like yourself as so picture right now nixie you're a dot on the page and for those of you listening you can draw this visual or you can you know just imagine it so, Nixie is a dot on the page. And a little bit over, here's Sarah Wolf, right? And you mentioned Natalie, and I've just been working with Natalie. So, we're going to give her a little shout out. So, Natalie Ross from EarthSpeak is over here, she's another dot, right? And so, we all have the same interest, right? We're talking about similar stuff. We're into the earth. Like, we love earth spirituality. We want to see change happen, right? That's like our big, broad, common interest. And so we share that as these three dots on this page and now start to draw a circle around each one of us, like the rings on a tree, right? We call these concentric circles or like, you know, you throw a pebble into the pond and start to draw those circles around each one of us. And at what point do those circles start overlapping? You know, it's like, we see then like all of these rings of common interest and common influence that just grows like so much with us, just spreading this good word and walking the good medicine road, you know, like we we're all on the same path. And so it's like don't get overwhelmed by everyone else is doing better than you. You just gotta do it. Keep doing it, and keep doing it, and make all the little changes you can and really like reevaluate like with the R's. Go back and like make a list. What are my needs? What are my wants? What do I really need? Is a really big evaluation, you know? Right. So I think that's like one of the places to start is like, just stop comparing yourself to other people and just do it.
0: I love that you and said just, that too. Cause I think comparison can easily get into like a paralysis.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we compare ourselves to other people and like, I'm not that good. Why bother? You know? And we like shade our light. We dim our own light, our own ideas and, and, and also I like, for me, it's like, so what if we have the same idea? Like there's no original ideas. Like if we have a collective unconscious or a, collect, a collective consciousness, yeah. you know, like then there are no original ideas. We share them all. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's also a part of productivity and uh, going back to the capitalist wound, is it like you're expected to have like the newest, coolest thing out there, mm. you
0: know? Right. I know. It's so interesting too, to kind of be down that, that journey, especially as a creative. I mean, we often, you know, when we have these ideas, I read the book. um, Oh gosh, what is it called? It's like created something fear shoot. It's like out of my, um, we just were speaking about it, but it's a, um, it'll come to me. I'm sure after we are done interviewing, um, but the concept of it'll
1: be in the show notes. Yeah,
0: there we go. We'll put it in there. Um, And you know, it's it's like this concept of these ideas that everything's floating in the in this collective conscious or the stream, this like thing above us that's like floating around. And sometimes we pull these ideas down, and and sometimes they're for us, and sometimes they're not. And we get to like play them on, and and sometimes we're like, yes, I will fully take this idea on, and other times they like float away and find somebody else. And I think that that's really beautiful to just remember because. It, it brings us out of that state of, of mindset of ownership and mm. and kind of gets us back into this place of, of oneness that that, like you said, it's not just mine. Like somebody else is is going to maybe co-create that and to, you know, not get trapped in that comparison of, well, I was going to do that or, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was a lot of when I was in the fashion industry. That's pretty much all it was. And so, you know, just realizing the toxicities in that and in the vibration of it, too, because it doesn't come from a place of like love. It doesn't come from a place of compassion and and gratitude or just knowing that like we're all playing a role in the way that we're meant to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that goes into
1: like our personal destiny, you know, and and what do we there's one thing that we all share a destiny with all eight billion people in the world, and that's the world. Mm-hmm. We share a destiny with this earth, you know? And so how are we going to work with it? Like at our core.
0: Yeah. I actually just shared this quote that I had found on, uh, uh my brand's page. And it was like, uh, what does it say? It's, uh, I'm going to pull it up here. The earth, the earth is what we all have in common by Wendell Berry.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such a good one.
0: I mean, this is our, this is like, we can put all of our, um, beliefs and opinions aside and just remember that our home is the place that we all call home. And yeah, I think that's, it's a really important reminder. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. Sarah, I yeah, can so talk to you forever. I feel like is so nice. <laughs> You're such a wealth of, of wisdom and, yeah. uh, it's, it's such an honor again to connect with you. And, um, I think we could ramble on and on and we're kind of coming to the close of our show here. So, I have some final questions before we say our final, final farewells. It's always a tongue twister there. Um, (laughs) uh, If you were to really like tap into this vision of the new earth, what would it look like to you? I don't think we'd have
1: any more politicians. (laughs) (laughs) But mostly because like some of the stuff that's been coming up in my social media echo chamber and everything that's happening right now in the world, it's like politicians are really to blame for a lot. You know, I think that like what I would like to see in the world, if I could really see a change in the world, at least with human beings. And so I would love to see more tribal living, mm-hmm. bioregional sovereignty and people working within their They're smaller units and not depending on
0: a handful of people to take care of millions. I agree. That's literally the common question, like answer, not not with the politics, but um, just seeing more of that uh, rooting into community living and tribalism and primalism, you know, all of that, that. We've, we've forgotten, we've lost, we've, and we've got to come back to why that was so important, why we connected to the earth in such a powerful way and Mm -hmm. with, you know, with indigenous cultures. And I think it's really, it's no coincidence why that's such a common answer to that question. Uh So and the other thing, too, is I have well we could we could go off from there. (laughs) Oh, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, you're in Costa Rica where I'm intending to go. So we'll see what happens, girl. Maybe we'll create it. Um, But, you know, what's funny is I was talking to someone. He's like a wizard friend of mine. And he kind of broke down when I was getting a little little Uh, heady with the politics and everything that's going on right now because it's often hard you know sometimes you really got to create discernment around what is going on and really remove yourself if you feel like you're getting too heated in it all Um, but he Mm. just kind of reminded me the the meaning of politics and the root word and the word magic that it is and and poly meaning many and ticks meaning like an annoying thing that is (laughs) is like constantly attacking or or creates um disease (laughs) so i thought that was a funny thing and it's just like how many annoying little diseases (laughs) yep and so we'll just leave you with that (laughs) yeah
1: that's great
0: um but uh,
1: that that being said as we're in our transitional ethic out of one common shared belief system aka a paradigm into another one mm -hmm. we all still should vote
0: right yes we can't get out of that concept too i think thank you for saying that it's not yeah. what we're we're putting here. I definitely no, but that's
1: that's the, what we call a transitional ethic. This is the situation that we have, mm-hmm. and we have to work our way out of it. But it isn't tomorrow,
0: right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, love, where <laughs> where can everybody find you? I'm sure that I know you're you know off in the jungle in Costa Rica. So maybe they can't come physically find you. I know I'm I'm coming for you, but uh, that's just me. I'm mm-hmm. just kidding. Um, but you know, I think that. You have a lot of offerings, and um, it seems like a lot of wisdom and insight that a lot of people could really benefit from right now at this time. So where can we find you?
1: Yeah, well, I would say I'm probably most active on my Instagram, which is villagewitch.sarahwu. I'm Sarah with an H W. And then uh, I also have a website, which is villagewitch.org. And on that, you'll also see um, this podcast will be up there as well. So it's like all of my various creative content. Mm-hmm. Um, I do teach. I haven't gone online route a lot yet because I've been focusing on people and on my bio region here in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went back to what I know and... Um, you know, going around to different communities in our country and teaching regenerative lifestyle and like five to 10 day courses. So if you're listening from this country, uh, let's see you soon somewhere. Um, but if you're, you know, abroad, um, borders are a little funny nowadays. So um, I'd say Instagram and watch my videos. I, I'm pretty like active. on my IGTV and I teach a lot about herbalism and deep ecology and materia medica for learning the plants and different musings and everything. So
0: amazing. Well, Mm -hmm. I hope you all check the lovely Sarah Wu out and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. I certainly did learned a lot and um, definitely will be pondering some of these topics that we discussed And I hope you guys do too. I think this topic is really important right now, especially just to uh, really reconnect with the earth as we, like you said, share this common interest. And so many of us are feeling that call and listening to her. So do you have any final words for everyone, Sarah?
1: Hmm. Just remember that we're all walking the good medicine road. The medicine road is like a river. It's full of branches and creeks and tributaries and estuaries, but we're all on it together. So just keep walking it.
0: Mm. oh thank you yeah you're welcome thank you all right loves well thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode I will see you all next week bye for now bye Sarah thank you bye thank you
2: responsibility